There's a book titled God's Little Devotional Book, and there's a story that struck Baghdad during the reign of Abdullah III. The Muslim leaders in that land issued a decree that all of the faithful should offer their prayers for rain. And yet the drought continued. So then the Muslim leaders permitted the Jews to add their prayers. And yet the drought continued. So finally, when this drought became a widespread famine, killing lives, the Muslims decided that the Christians would be allowed to pray. And almost immediately, the heavens opened up and rain began to fall. And so the leaders of this Muslim community were alarmed that the rain began to fall when the Christians began to pray. And they felt that there was an explanation that needed to be told. So this is what they said. They said, the God of our prophet was highly gratified by the prayers of the faithful. that were sweet-smelling savers. And he refused their requests in order to prolong the pleasure of listening to the prayers. But when the prayers of those Christian infidels were an abomination to him, and so he granted the request all the sooner just to be rid of their loathsome opportunities. I guess that's one way to explain it. Or it could just explain that we have an awesome God. In the book, Blame It on the Weather, there's another drought-related story that happened uh, in North America back in 1988. There was a meteorologist at the brokerage firm of Smith Barney, and he inadvertently created this huge stir on the Chicago Stock Exchange, all because he wore his trench coat outside to get a cup of coffee. He told the Wall Street Journal that he had to walk past all of the traders on the floor to get out of the office. And when they saw the company meteorologist walking outside in a trench coat, they figured it was a secret signal that the weather was about to break. And they began to sell on the market. But Davis said, in fact, it was just a cold day in May, and I put it on because it was chilly. It's a crazy world we live in. Well, one more drought-related story, but this one has a little more serious point. Author Andy Andrews tells about a tribe of aboriginal rainmakers, and they are 100% successful in making it rain. Now, aboriginals are known for their rain dances, and some uh, tribes are better than others, but this tribe was 100% success rate. So whenever the white communities were in trouble because of drought, they would always contact this one tribe. Well, in one instance, they were in desperate need of rain, and so the white community contacted this tribe. And, and one of the leaders asked the leader of this tribe, he said, how is it? How is it that every time you dance, it rains? And the leader looked at him and he said, well, it's very simple. We dance until it rains. It's a great lesson for us, not, not in magic, but in perseverance. See, we know in our lives that droughts have always been with us. The worst famine ever recorded was in China during 1876. It lasted three years, destroying crops and killing approximately 13 million people. They've always been with us. And the people of Israel understood what it was to have a drought. They understood what life was like without water. And so when Isaiah the prophet was talking to them, he had a very receptive audience when he read our scripture, when he told our scripture this morning. Look with me, Isaiah 55. We're going to start with verse 1. Let's turn this on first. 
Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Now, Isaiah is speaking to Israel on behalf of God. And he's not writing about a physical thirst. He's writing to them about a spiritual thirst. And he's giving the people some clues on why their lives are spiritually parched. And I think it's some clues for us today because spiritual dehydration doesn't just happen in Isaiah's time. It happens in our time still. And Isaiah is saying that people become spiritually thirsty because they've misplaced their values. He says, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? See, that's the heart of the problem, isn't it? People are spending their money, they're spending their time, they're spending their resources on the things that they know are never going to satisfy them. It was true back then, it's still true today, isn't it? We are spending our time and our resources on the things that we know are never going to satisfy us. Author Ann Dillard wrote about the ill-fated Franklin Expedition. In 1845, Sir John Franklin and 138 officers and men embarked from England on two large sailing vessels. And they wanted to find the Northwest Passage across the high Canadian Arctic into the Pacific Ocean. Now, each vessel carried with them an auxiliary steam engine and a 12-day supply of coal for a voyage that was supposed to take two to three years. Didn't understand that. But instead of adding additional coal onto their ships... They made room for a 1,200-volume library, a hand organ that played 50 tunes, china place settings for all the officers and men, cut glass wine goblets, and sterling silver flatware. The expedition had no special clothes for the Arctic weather, only the uniforms of Her Majesty's Navy. And it was a big mistake. Because not long after the expedition entered the Arctic waters, the two ships became trapped in the ice. And many of the crew members perished while on board. Some of the other crew began to walk on the ice towards the Canadian mainland, but they never made it. They all perished, including two officers who were pulling with them a sled. These men had traveled about 65 miles across the treacherous ice with this heavy load in tow on this sled. And when rescuers found their body, they discovered what was on the sled was all the table silver. These men had sacrificed their lives for a sled filled with knives, forks, and spoons. How absurd. No matter how much that sled was worth, it was definitely not worth their lives. But people make those mistakes, don't they? People today still make those mistakes. Parents are neglecting their children all in search of the almighty dollar. Spouses are neglecting each other all to climb that corporate ladder to the top. People are trading their health and their integrity and their souls, all searching for what will never truly satisfy them. 
There's a lady in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland that got it, though. She was having a series of prayer meetings at her house, and she had invited her neighbor, who was of a different faith, to join them for the prayer meetings. Well, her neighbor didn't really feel comfortable meeting with them, but after the first prayer meeting, she saw her outside, and she asked how it went, and she said, oh, it was wonderful. We had 35 people in my cottage, and it was full. Well, the second week, they went, and she saw her neighbor, and she said, well, how did the prayer meeting go? And she said, oh, it was wonderful. Last night, we had 51 in our prayer meeting, and my cottage was full. And she said, we have one more week. You, you need to join us. Well, the neighbor didn't come, but after the third week, she inquired. And they said, oh, it was wonderful. We had 62 people in my cottage, and it was full. And the neighbor said, well, you know, that's impossible. How can you have 35 one week and your house is full and 51 the next week and it's full and 62 the following week and it's full? And they said, well, it's quite simple. We just got rid of all of the furniture and put it out in the garden. We emptied the house of everything that cluttered it to make room for the people. See, that lady understood. Furniture wasn't important. The stuff in her house wasn't important. It was people that were important. Table silver is not important, but two officers gave their lives trying to take it with them. And people today are spiritually thirsty because they have misplaced their values. They no longer understand what is truly important in our life. People are also spiritually parched because they've betrayed their values. The Bible's way of saying it is as spiritually, people are spiritually thirsty because They sin. Continue with me. Isaiah 55, uh, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. We don't use those words much anymore. We don't use wicked anymore, do we? Unless we're talking about a Broadway musical. We don't use the words unrighteous. Now, it's not that we're no longer wicked or unrighteous. We we just found other words. In today's vernacular, mistakes were made, right? Uh, People just were confused. But we need to acknowledge that what we are truly doing is sinning. We are sinning against our family and against our neighbors and our friends. And ultimately, we are sinning against God. During the early years in his ministry, uh, Keith Miller would travel around the country and he would speak at men's gatherings and encourage them about his adventure and his life in Christ. And at one meeting, he had this impulse while he was speaking to say, you know, I feel like I've come here to talk to one of you specifically. And he sat down afterwards and he thought, why did I say that? That was a bonehead move. But at the end of the meeting, a a young man came up to him and and he said, I'm the one. I'm the one that you came to talk to. He said, I'm an attorney, and I travel a lot, and I'm married, but I don't live here, but my mistress lives here. And he said, I was going to see her tonight. But when I got out of my car at her apartment, I ran into three guys that I knew from my hometown. And they looked at me, and they said, John, what are you doing here? I said, I'm just passing through. And they said, well, why don't you join us to hear this Christian businessman preach? And he said, well, okay, I've got nothing else to do. And he said, that's how I ended up here. 
And he said, I heard you talk about being frustrated and about pushing your life too hard and about how God helps you. And he said, I realize my life is out of hand and I need help. Well, Keith had a plane to catch that evening, but he didn't want to just leave this man hanging. And so he asked him, would you like to commit your life to Christ? Would you like to leave this other woman and learn to live for Christ again? He said, well, yes. He said, then tell God where you've been. Confess your sins. Tell Christ, I give up. Show me how to live. He said, well, I don't know if I can do that. And so Keith said, well, do you want to want to do that? He said, sure. So they prayed to God. And throughout the next year, they had kept in contact about his life and how he was changing. He was doing loving things in his family, serving his church and his community. And he had been sharing his message with people that he knew. When he invited Keith to come back to his town and and talk to some of his friends about Christ. And Keith agreed and they got there. And as they entered the church and approached the sanctuary, the minister stopped him. And he said, you know, I don't know what you told John last year. But you changed his life. And when they walked into that sanctuary, there were 800 of his friends sitting there waiting, listening, hoping to hear about what he said that changed his life in such a dramatic way. See, John changed his life. But first, he had to acknowledge his sin. He had to acknowledge what he was doing wrong in the eyes of God. And he had to repent. And he had to ask for God's help to begin again. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. See, people are spiritually parched because they have betrayed their values. They're not following what they know God wants them to do. But they're also spiritually parched because they depend on their own resources. Listen again to verse 1. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without costs. These words are echoed in Revelation 22 that says, The Spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. See, the resources of God are available to each and every one of us. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we've done in our lives. And you've heard people say, maybe you've said it yourself, yeah, but if you know what I've truly done, you know God could never love me, forgive me, want me to be a part. But they can't be any farther from the truth. Because God knows us. And he knows what we've done. And he loves us even more. And he was willing to send his son to die on the cross for us, because of us. Everything he offers is available, free of cost. But what we have to do is accept it. We have to take it. There was a story about a ship that was sailing days in those days before radio beacons. And it was floundering in a hurricane off the coast of South America. The crew began to run out of water. Now, all around them was water, but it was salt water, and drinking it could be fatal to them. And so one by one, these men died. 
But the tragedy of the situation is that unknown to them, they had traveled into the region of the mouth of the Amazon River. Now, the Amazon is one of the largest rivers in the world. Its mouth is 90 miles across. There is more water flowing out of the Amazon than the Yangtze, the Mississippi, and the Nile rivers combined. So much water comes from the Amazon, they can detect its current 200 miles out into the Pacific Ocean. And all around these men, these unsuspecting sailors, was fresh, clean water. All they had to do was reach down and drink all that they needed. They just didn't know. And so let me end this morning by asking you this question. Does that describe you? Is your life materially rich and yet spiritually empty? Isaiah says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Why spend your time and your resources and all that you have on what you know will never bring you true joy and fulfillment? Eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of fair. We need to rely on Christ. We need to come back to God. We need to accept the free gift that he offers to us of salvation. That's when we'll have a spiritually filled life. And we'll live in a wasteland no more. So this morning, as we come to our invitation time, my question is, do you need what only Christ can offer? The waters of life, eternal life through him. It's here waiting for you. All you have to do is come and ask for it. So if that's your choice, if that's what you need to do this morning, I invite you, please come as we sing.